The Guardian. About one in the afternoon, my mother pointed out a cloud with an odd size and appearance that had just formed. From that distance, it was not clear from which mountain the cloud was rising, although it was found afterwards to be Vesuvius. The cloud could best be described as more like an umbrella pine than any other tree, because it rose high up in a kind of trunk and then divided into branches. Like a true scholar, my uncle saw at once that it deserved closer study and ordered a boat to be prepared. He said that I could go with him, but I chose to continue my studies. So goes a letter written in 79 AD from Pliny the Younger to the Roman historian Tacitus. The eruption of Mount Vesuvius described by Pliny the Younger has become one of the most infamous natural disasters in history. Following a thunderous boom, ash, mud and rocks rained down on the inhabitants of the nearby towns of Pompeii, Opolontis, Stabae and Herculaneum. Many may have felt that the darkening skies and heat radiating from the volcano was the beginning of the end. For those unlucky enough not to escape in time, it was. Thousands from across the four towns died in a range of grisly ways, suffocating from toxic gases, getting crushed by the ashen rock, and even having their bodily fluids vaporised by the heat. They didn't suffer because they died very sudden. And this is probably due to the, uh, the, bolly, the abolition of the blood in the brain and the explosion of the skulls. So in this situation, death is just... Uh, very, very rapid. That's Pierre Paolo Petroni, the director of the Laboratory of Human Osteobiology and Forensic Anthropology at the University of Federico II of Naples. Pierre Paolo has spent years investigating the gruesome deaths of victims to uncover exactly what happened during the eruption. His recent discoveries include brain matter turned to a glassy material, revealing preserved neuronal structures in a victim in Herculaneum. The finding of uh, vitrified brain demonstrates that uh, at the very beginning of the eruption, after the, the exposure of people to very high temperature, there was a very rapid drop of temperature following the initial exposure to hot ash cloud, which is a unique feature occurring only at Herculaneum, which is, of course, one of the most important archaeological sites of the world, just for these reasons. I'm Nicola Davis. And this is Science Weekly. The first thing I wanted to know from Pierre Paolo was what it would have been like for the inhabitants of Pompeii, Herculaneum and other towns nearby during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. The 1790 eruption was one of the most devastating volcanic events known in historical times. In the first phase of the eruption, the dominant winds pushed the fall of pumice in a southerly direction towards Pompeii. In uh, a few hours, the entire Vesuvian area, uh, with cities like Herculaneum, Pompeii and Stabia, uh, was buried by tens of meters of volcanic ash up to at least 20 uh, kilometers away from Mount Vesuvius. 
most likely the, the visibility must have been very poor because of the darkening due to the volcanic ash and pumice in the air. And that's why many of the victims were found just uh, within buildings. In this phase, the inhabitants in Pompeii, who took refuge in the houses, died due to suffocation or were crushed by roofs and floors collapse. But at the same time, most of the people in Herculaneum had the time to escape in the north direction through Naples. And this is testified by the funding of only a few hundred victims during the archaeological investigation of the town, uh, whose population is estimated it had to be of about 5,000 inhabitants. Ash already falling became hotter and thicker as the ships approached the coast, and it was soon superseded by pumice and blackened burnt stones shattered by the fire. Suddenly, the sea shallowed where the shore was obstructed and choked by debris from the mountain. He wondered whether to turn back, as the captain advised, but decided instead to go on. Then, 12 hours later, when the pyroclastic flows and surges were produced, fast-moving clouds made of hot steam, ash and gases, capable of travelling at hundreds of miles per hour. Everybody died within at least 20 kilometers away from the volcano. So all evidence from the study of the victims shows that people, once reached by the burning clouds, died in a fraction of a second, so they didn't have time to realize they were dying. The lifelike stance of these people was a clear evidence of a sudden death caused by the extreme heat of the first pyroclastic flow that hit Herculaneum and killed the people, not yet evacuated. Actually, the study of the existing relationships between volcanic deposits, archaeological stratigraphy, and human bodies has allowed us to reconstruct what happened during those terrible, terrible hours when entire cities, houses, human and animal victims, victims were buried by tens of meters of scorching volcanic ash. So the temperature reached by the first pyroclastic flow was so high that actually killed the people instantly, but also let the soft tissues to vaporize in just tens of minutes. And then even caused the explosion of the skulls, the fracturing of the long bones, and so on. By using historical records together with archaeological findings and Pierre Paolo's analysis, we now know that the first deadly blow was dealt by vast quantities of ash, which collapsed buildings and killed inhabitants. The second was dealt by pyroclastic flows, fast-moving, superheated clouds of gases and ash and rubble. There was no escape. Even those taking cover inside were not saved. As part of their work, Pierre Paolo and his team investigated the impact of different temperatures on the human body. I asked him how they did this. We made actually an experimentation, experiments, on recent human and animal bones. Just eating these bones from, let's say, zero until 800 degrees. So for half minute, one minute, one half minute, and so on. And then we compared the effects of the heat on these bones at macroscopic, microscopic, and ultra-microscopic uh, level with the findings, the heat effects from air 
Pompeii and Oplantis. And so we said the temperature of the surges of the flows was of at least 500 degrees centigrade in Herculan, around 600 degrees centigrade in Oplantis and almost 300 degrees centigrade in Pompeii. So that was very important because again, told us what we were sure of that in any case, even if you can save from the mechanical impact because you are within a building, then you will die due to the very high temperature. In more recent research, his team discovered something even more remarkable. Glassy remains inside the skull of another victim in Herculaneum that's turned out to be brains transformed by the extreme heat and subsequent rapid cooling. You've actually found evidence of vitrified brain tissue. So what is that and where did you find it? In October 2018, I was again uh, in Herculanum and uh, in the College of the Augustales. I had the, the, again the opportunity to study this victim found in, in this building, which was dedicated to the cult of uh, Augustus. And this was probably the guardian of, of this building, of the college. And uh, it was found in the 60s, just at the beginning of the 60s. Uh, it was found just uh, laying in, in a bed uh, within a small room. It was completely burnt. The bones were completely fractured and, and even the bed was charred. During the survey, uh, I just saw some uh, small black fragments shining within the skull of this, of this individual. So I just made, took some samples of this, uh, this uh, material. It was just brain because it was not possible to, to find this kind of material anywhere else. Uh, in, in that place, in other places, uh, in other sites even not in Herculanum or in Pompeii or anywhere else. But we had to demonstrate this. And uh, we found fatty acids of hair, of the human hair within this material, and seven proteins which are highly represented in all uh, the, the human brain districts. So we could say, okay, this is brain. But later on, Actually, during the COVID times, we made an experimentation and we made some analysis at uh, electron microscope in Rome. It was something unbelievable because we found an entire uh, central nervous system within this material, which was really something unbelievable. Because never before was found a vitrified brain and never before was found, uh, were found neurons and axons and, and other uh, biological neuronal structures uh, preserved in such very high quality, like in this case. So it was something really unbelievable. The incredible discovery of the vitrified brains backs up the previous findings of charred bones and exploded skulls. However, it also demonstrates that the extreme heat in Herculaneum would have been followed by rapid cooling acting to solidify the tissue, freezing it in time. Now Pierre Paolo and his team are doing experiments to discover exactly what temperatures are required to vitrify human brain and how long it takes, 
giving a better idea of the first pyroclastic surge and how quickly it would have cooled down. Alongside this, genetic and DNA analyses, including using material from the skulls, teeth and bones from hands and feet, is uncovering further details about the victims and their lives. The current project includes the study of proteins from the brain, remains, and the related genes associated to certain human pathologies. For instance, we checked the expression of the genes encoding a number of human proteins isolated from a sample of this vitrified brain tissue. So we could see that all genes related to the, the proteins are present in the various parts of the human brain, like cerebral cortex, uh, amygdala, cerebellum, uh, hippocampus, and so on. We are studying also the DNA of these people. And this is very, very interesting because uh, I have a collaboration with Harvard in, in Boston, the Department of Genetics. They're just analyzing the DNA of the 80 victims I excavated on the, on the Hansen Beach in the 90s. And this study is revealing important, very important clues about family relationships and uh, geographical origin of, of some of these people. Pierre Paolo is also trying to understand more about the details of the eruption in 79 AD in the hope of helping us to plan better today. The finding of the vitrified brain, the finding of neurons and so on, it's of course it's very important uh, by an archaeological and uh, bioanthropological point of view, but it's very, very important uh, if uh, we, we think to the volcanic risk because all evidence from the 79 Erkinana and Pompeii Avalanche eruption 4,000 years ago tell us that only by escaping in time and reaching a distance of at least 15 to 20 kilometers away would be possible to survive. Uh, we have to remember again that Mount Vesuvius is the most dangerous volcano in the world just because it looms over 3 million inhabitants of metropolitan Naples. So possibly we could say that. And concluding, that the study of a 2,000-year-old beautified brain may save lives in future. I turned around and saw a thick black cloud advancing over the land behind us like a flood. Let us leave the road while we can still see, I said, or we will be knocked down and trampled by the crowd. We had hardly sat down to rest when the darkness spread over us, but it was not the darkness of a moonless or cloudy night, but it was just as if the lamps had been put out in a completely closed room. Some people were so frightened of dying that they actually prayed for death. Many begged for the help of the gods, but even more imagined that there were no gods left and that the last eternal night had fallen on the world. I was just going to ask whether you are a fan of horror films or whether that's too similar to, to this kind of story that you're uncovering in your day job here, looking at the victims. Yeah, when I, when I was uh, a young boy, sometimes instead of to go to school, <laughs> I was going to the cinema to see horror films because I like it very much. 
and I, and, I wrote, and I wrote a lot of books about horror stories. <laughs> Huge thanks to Pierre Paolo for joining us and to Callum Finley playing the part of Pliny the Younger. We've put links to our coverage of Pierre Paolo's work on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. That's it from this week. As always, stay safe and see you soon. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.